everybody, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I am Drew Scanlon. Joining me is Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I am doing great, Drew. I miss racing, but apparently it's coming back, and I was wrong this whole time, and I've never been so happy. Well, let's wait till there are tires on tracks. <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> uh, also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Not bad. Uh, also glad to see Danny was wrong, though, like you, I'm, I'm waiting to see. Let's get a couple of those races under our belts and make sure the dreaded COVID rebound doesn't happen. And then we'll have a season. Then it's on. Yes. Agreed. Uh, if you have just found this wonderful sport called Formula One, um, we have a, an episode designed for newbies that is probably uh, much more useful, I think, now mm. as we get closer to the uh, the designated start time um, that explains this uh, entire sport from top to bottom. Um, so if you'd like some context for all of this, that's episode 96. And if you're new to the podcast, uh, right now we're, we're deviating from what we normally do in these episodes, which is like a pre-race buildup and a post-race debrief. Uh, but we do want to keep everybody up to speed on the news that there is, such as it is. Um, so this week we're focusing on news and listener emails. Um, but uh, as we get closer to the season, we're going to start getting back to our normal normal rhythm, which I know, actually I it'll be a much faster rhythm. Uh, we'll, we'll get to the, the calendar, I guess. Um, but yeah, uh, this show is also supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift F1, where every month we release bonus podcast episodes exclusively for our patrons that cover racing documentaries and films, primers for other series and other weird things. So if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of that, uh, along with early access to the video content that we do on our YouTube channel, uh, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. Uh, what's going on this month, Danny? Yeah, we've uh, we've almost got 900 patrons as well. I just want to thank everyone, especially during these uh, uncertain times, for for helping us out and keeping us keeping us well funded. Uh, we really appreciate it. We do have a, a an unlock if we hit a thousand that we're going to go for a drive somewhere in a circuit, uh, actually racing. Um, we still plan to do that if we hit a thousand. So <laughs> I'm going to keep my eye on that one as the as the season starts. Uh, this month's patron exclusive podcast is uh, one that just kind of popped up out of nowhere. I guess I had heard it was being made, but it just got released on Hulu. It is the Formula E documentary and We Go Green. Uh, friendly on the planet, fierce on the track, as the subtitle says. Um, yeah, it's got a bunch of uh, uh, drivers and journalists I follow and stuff like that in it. And it's all about the sport and it's been well received so far it looks beautifully shot so i'm looking forward to checking that out we'll be recording it in uh not next week the following weeks so you've got a bit of time to watch it ahead of uh ahead of uh, our recording uh, which will be up in uh, later on this month i believe in the uk it is also on channel four. Oh, cool okay yeah so if that's the case then you should probably be able to pick it up on 4od which is channel four's on-demand service which if you have a uh license in the uk you have access to four odd Four odd, yeah. Four it odd. is an odd channel. It's where Big Brother started. <laughs> channel four is weird. Uh, is that is that where they have? Um, have you ever heard of? If uh, I talked about this before, Naked Attraction. Is this the one where they 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 go on a date naked? No, that, I think that's called Dating Naked. Oh, this yeah, is like I, I think that's Channel Four too. Also, it, Sex Box, which is the one where they <laughs> had people go into a box to have sex and then come out and talk about it. Channel uh, Four is just out there. What what's Naked Attraction? It's like uh, it's um, they have like a um, like a, a male contestant and a female contestant, and they have, they're in like two different um, uh, segments of the show. Okay, but like the um, actually no, that's not the case. Uh, it's like. So like one one person is like 
shown a panel of people that they want that they're like um the show is like do you want to date these people okay but they like start with their legs yeah okay everyone's legs and slowly reveal more of their naked body but these aren't pictures these are real people these are real people standing in a line yeah i've seen this before yeah it's uh yeah. yeah and then at the end uh you see everyone's junk Mm. <laughs> including much... including the contestant so like whether it's wouldn't a man or a woman through? what's that wouldn't you see the yeah, midway yeah. through if they're just doing a straight like uh, are they standing on their heads slowly moving the camera up <laughs> so yeah by the end of the yeah by the end of the segment everyone has been oh, raised everyone right, okay, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. but you see yeah. the penis like a quarter of the way through that's true yeah okay uh, and then yeah. the, the actual contestant then comes out naked too. This is so a real missed opportunity. Oh, playing so field. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real shame they didn't do this. I know we had some really cool like YouTube and Twitch stuff from the Formula One community, but it's a real shame they didn't just do this. You know, just do an episode of this with all the drivers would have been pretty cool. <laughs> Hell of a way for Nico Rosberg to get banned. <laughs> Finally. Uh, yeah, his YouTube channel. Yeah, I can I imagine know. the thumbnail for that one. <laughs> Let's. Let's move on. <laughs> I don't know how we got on that. Uh, I think it was my fault. I'm sorry. Uh, no let's take it to the news, shall we? Yeah, Patreon. Patreon's weird. Yeah, let's go to news. Shall I start it? Please. The 2020 season. It's happening. Maybe. Who knows? Life is weird and everything changes every day. Will we be here tomorrow? I don't know. But here's the news right now about the F1 calendar, which is still a work in progress, but is technically locked whatever that means um 15 to 18 races is still the target but for now we have one two three four five six seven eight races which have been again i say with air quotes locked (laughs) but depending on uh you know your interpretation of what's going on at the moment the first one will be the austrian grand prix uh, we are not going to Melbourne, sadly. We were not going to Spa, which I wrongfully called the Austrian Grand Prix two weeks ago. It will, in fact, be the Red Bull Ring. Um, what is the Stryan Grand Prix? Styrian. Styrian? Yeah, a, Styri- that is just a uh, province in Austria. Okay, but it's at the same track. Yes. Okay, cool. They renamed it something different because for some reason, just calling it the Austrian Grand Prix again was going to mess up it their website. Weak. Maybe the links will be weird. Okay, <laughs> I don't know. Um, that's uh, the following week. They're head to head or back to back. On July 19th, then, we have the Hungarian Grand Prix. Um, the 2nd of August, after a little bit of a break, will be the British Grand Prix in Silverstone. Um, currently, the vacation spot of COVID-19 so we'll see if that one lasts um 9th of August we're going to uh we're staying in uh the British Grand Prix in Silverstone for a 70th anniversary Grand Prix they're calling it um at the home uh of of F1 so that seems appropriate uh then the 16th of August right at, right following up from that is the Spanish Grand Prix uh, a little bit of a break one week until we do Spa on the 30th of August. And then we have the Italian Grand Prix in Monza on the 6th of September. And those are all of the locked legs we have right now. There's a couple of other um, uh, tracks that are sort of holding their hands up at the moment. Sochi wants to be involved. No one else wants Sochi involved, <laughs> but it keeps raising its hand in the back of the class and everyone's trying to ignore it. Well, um, since nobody's there, it should be pretty <laughs> safe and sanitary. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Do they even have stands there? I don't know. Uh, Mugello as well. Uh, you could almost maybe do a back to back on Monza, and you know, 
maybe for that. I don't know, but they're, they've also put their hands up as, as a possible other one. Uh, one of the big things we're talking about two weeks ago was the idea of this being a official championship because the rule, of course, was that you need to race on three continents. And in, in so doing this one, um, uh, we, we would be too short. But that they have basically um, decided to change the FIA's uh, international sporting code to make this a, an official Formula 1 championship regardless of that particular rule. Uh, re- with regard to the designation world, it notes the cup, trophy, challenge, or series calendar must include competitions taking place on at least three continents during the same season. However, in the unprecedented circumstances of COVID-19 pandemic, that requirement won't have to be met, uh, according to Ross Braun in an interview um, over on autosport.com. Uh, he says, in theory, the eight European races will constitute a world championship. Um one other interesting note on this was the, I guess, uh, Chase Carey was interviewed on, I think it was the Formula One website, um, about what will happen if in the interim we have positive testing, be it in drivers or in teams. Um, and he sort of essentially said that regardless of if it pops up, which, let's be honest, if they test all those people, it's probably going to pop up somewhere. Um, we've already seen it, like, a, the first UFC fight, one of the fighters had it and his team had it and when they were doing all those testing. Um, uh, but he said, essentially, that regardless of if, if people come back positive, they're still going to go ahead with the show. It's not like if one person is positive, then then they pull out the whole thing. Um, so there clearly seems to be a desire to get back to, to, to not scupper anymore, like as expensive as it is to not have races, it's even more expensive to try and put them on and then not put, then not have them. Um, uh, and then uh, I guess the other side of this is the um, precautions that they're doing um, to, to I guess, mitigate it. Uh, was this, should I cover this as well? Or was yeah. this for, okay, sure. cool. Um, so I've uh, got some quotes here from our good friend, Chase Carey, who still has a mustache, by the way, which I think is probably difficult if you're wearing masks a lot do you think he's gonna have like the handlebars poking out the sides <laughs> maybe cut holes in the mask they kind of come out like the front yeah that, that, like a weird tendrils like mandibles sort of cthulhu monster yeah i like that um uh, chase says uh, we will sorry chase carry we're not on first name basis quite yet uh we will test before you go there then there will be testing every two days there are processes if we find an infection we recognize there is a possibility so we're prepared to appropriately deal with it if we find a positive infection we're working or if we find a positive infection we're working on putting in place tracking capabilities we will have two different tracking options in many ways it will be like living in a bubble for when you start traveling on charter planes uh, there will be controlled transportation to hotels, transportation back and forth from the track uh, and hotels, and probably within it. Sub-bubbles of people who operate different functions and are set up to manage the processes, uh, make sure we have the right protective equipment and social distancing. Clearly, we recognize our sport is one which at times we have uh, two meters between every individuals on the team. Uh, when a car pulls into a pit and has to change four tires, there won't be two meters between every individual. We need to make sure we have procedures to manage all those risks as soon as possible. Um... And then we have another article here from uh, the F1 website just talking generally about the um, number of steps that they're taking to uh, ensure that racing is safe as possible, as they're putting it. Uh, There will be a significant reduction in the personal 
Um, travel, sorry, personnel traveling to races from all parties, including the teams, the FAA, suppliers, and F1 itself. To help achieve this, some functions of a race weekend, such as parts of the television broadcast, will be carried out remotely. Uh, additionally, those personnel on site will be required to isolate in their respective team units and not interact with others. Pre- and post-race activities, such as the National Anthem, Park Ferme, podiums, and cool-down rooms, will be altered to ensure safe distances can be maintained, as will media obligations and interviews. And of course, not mentioned here, but in case it wasn't obvious enough, there will be no fans at these races. Yeah. Um, did any of you guys catch any NASCAR or IndyCar that has been happening without fans? No, we had a wonderful email last week, which I, I know you heard, um, which kind of talked about NASCAR, but I haven't actually seen any of the. I've seen clips, but I haven't watched like a full thing yet. It, it honestly feels a little like the uh, esports races a little bit. Like there's just something a little off. Really? But it, for the most part, you're like, okay, yeah. This is fine. Uh, I watched a little bit of the start of the IndyCar, uh, the first IndyCar race of the season uh, in Texas, and they they had all of the commentators in the same room six feet apart, so they were right. all like kind of one shots on everybody, divided up into three. Huh. Um, but, you know, they were at the track. Uh, everybody in the pit crew had masks on. Um, yeah, I, you know, it worked. Mm. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really curious, though, to see... I think it'll be even weirder when Formula One gets it uh, gets going. I think just because you know that so much more logistics had to be done because we're traveling internationally here. Um, but yeah, um, that's weird. Did, did you see the? Um, have you, you seen any of the soccer in Europe? So the Bundesliga has been back for no, a while. I've heard that's weird too. Yeah, so they they made like a lot of the stadiums have like cardboard cutouts of fans and stuff um, in to like approximate it. But one thing they've just started adding. Um, is essentially f- like a laugh track. Like they've added spectator what? reactions. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. So if a goal goes in, there's like ch- there's like chants from the the fans going on because you you get a lot of that in European <laughs> football, right? You get a lot of singing and, and sure. uh, all that sort of stuff. Um, and they also have like a like I think it's controlled by a DJ or something. They have a uh, reactions whenever the goal goes in, the crowd goes wild and all that. So it's uh it's pretty interesting. It, it actually like kind of works, but it's it's also kind of it's like it's like watching like Friends or something. Once you like start thinking about the laugh track too much, it becomes like super obnoxious. But if you just kind of let it flow over you, it's not. It kind of works, you know. <laughs> That's really bizarre. Yeah, I don't strange. think so. Do players hear it? Like, is it is it piped over the air? Yeah, I believe it is. Yeah, yeah it is in the PA system yeah. of the because you get that cacophonous kind of like uh, you know affect from the. Um, from from it uh so it must be coming get it just the pa system or maybe they set up other speakers i don't know but yeah it's it's there it's, it'd it's be there. interesting to see if like the game loses something if like that sound isn't there right if it, if it basically has the right. feel of like a uh inter-team <laughs> practice you know like like <laughs> yeah. a scrimmage match but what? it's for real like do the players do anything differently because i think one of the weird things about sports is there's so much myth-making about the importance of support from the fans. And sometimes I'm like, I'm sure that puts asses in seats, but these yeah. are professionals, right? Like, I'm not, uh, like, I do kind of wonder, like, do they necessarily draw a ton of energy uh, from it? I can, I can see it. I can, I can, like, I can certainly see the, like, how having a crowd there would get you fired up and having its its absence might just make the entire thing feel a little bit odd. Uh, but I'm really right. curious to see like just what, how it would change the game. 
Well, it's it's funny because I feel like F1 is probably the one, or just motorsport in general, is kind of not so affected by this. Um, there was one or two things that came up on this. There were, I was watching a video with, I don't know who it was, it was some NASCAR driver, and they were talking about doing the Indy 500 and practicing turn one before the crowd got there. And then once the crowd arrived, the corner looked different because there there wasn't as much light hitting what? the track. So the, the turn actually looked uh, sh- uh, like it looked yeah. tighter than it did the previous couple of days and the first time you do indie it's really weird taking turn one because of that and it takes like five or six laps for you to get past that so i found that interesting but in terms of the sound stuff there's been a load of like very interesting things happening in other sports with the bundesliga stuff you could hear the players talking which was really interesting but i don't speak german so i uh, unfortunately didn't get to appreciate a lot of that but in ufc they had a really interesting situation where on the first fight, especially, uh, you know, the commentators are a lot of them are uh, ex-fighters or current fighters. And Daniel Cormier was talking about like uh, a specific move that the person should do in this situation because they keep getting knees and they keep like they've left this open. And after the fight, the fighter said, I heard DC saying that and incorporated it into my game plan so suddenly the <laughs> fighters could hear the commentators not just not just their their corners the other corner you could, they could hear both wild. corners it's insane so it totally yeah, that could, like had okay. this so they're gonna have it, to start using codes <laughs> right the, the, but how did the commentators because the corners do the corners use a lot of you know we are all know, the astros now <laughs> <laughs> So I'm, I'm not sure how much this will affect F1 in that respect, but, you know, yeah, it's, I mean, it's you, just wild. You don't, I mean, you almost can't hear the audience at all anyway because of the engines. So, I mean, I totally. can see it with soccer because, like, you kick a ball into the net and then, <laughs> like, <laughs> silence. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't Imagine basketball good. without a crowd. Like, it would just... All squeaks. Yeah. Also, just, you're right. Yeah. It would just be squeaks. It would be the most annoying sound ever. Yeah. <laughs> No, like, like high level basketball in a professional court is an annoying, <laughs> awkward sound. Like the entire thing just sounds weird. Uh, but I if the yeah. players hate us. Even I don't know. Probably. Like you know, I think one of the other weird things too is I can see like in to a degree you can feed off crowd energy, but I bet you the bigger problem is tuning it out, like for concentration, but also not in getting. Uh, grandiose just from like you know what i mean like when when you sink a couple like really great shots and the crowd right. is like chanting your name there's got to be a part of you that's like you know this is my moment i'm just get, give me the rock i'm gonna take every shot <laughs> uh and then you just you know face plant or something i imagine you gotta especially for your out. like you're like lebron james or you know like your your sort of power uh you know the dominator of the course yeah you know? It's so strange. I went, like I wonder with that NASCAR effect of there not being a crowd and and the corner feeling different. God, basketball must feel really strange if you don't have like it must feel like you're the center of attention closed in with all the crowd on top of you. Without any of those, it must feel so bizarre. I wonder. That's got to well, be. A we'll sport that we'll get a glimpse at it soon, out. right? Because uh, oh really? Is NBA coming back? Too? Yeah, they're converging teams. They basically like isolated. I think like a campus in Orlando. Wow. And are just going to basketball run. island. Yeah, that's that's basically it. Um, <laughs> so we w- we will see how that goes. Uh, but speaking of trying trying new things out, uh, Drew, I think you have a we have very had a little taste of what this is going to look like. 
Yeah, so Mercedes did a private test at Silverstone um, to sort of get a handle on the COVID-19 protocols that F1 will be running with. Uh, and they actually had to do it with a 2018 car um, with no current parts being trialed, uh, according to Autosport. So, so they wouldn't break any rules. <laughs> so they wouldn't break any rules. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, that is amazing. So according to Motorsport, uh, Mercedes completed a number of altered procedures to prepare for the Austria race weekend, including a full grid start. Uh, the grid procedure will be heavily revised for the closed events, ensuring only essential personnel are present. All team members wore face masks at the track, uh, while a larger full face shield was used by engineers when in close contact uh, with Botas in the car, uh, who was uh, running the Mercedes car that day, uh, such as when strapping him into the cockpit. Uh, Mercedes's test marks the first on-track running by an F1 team since the end of preseason testing in Barcelona at the end of February. Wow. Uh, Ferrari will also be completing some private testing in the near future, but McLaren has already revealed it is unable to run any of its older spec F1 cars. So oh, funny. They'll just they've have all, to figure it out on the fly. They've, they've already sucked all the oil out and put it in that big room, right? <laughs> Don't have to have like all their cars there. Right. And remember, yeah, they right. just collateralized them for a bond issue. Uh, oh, they did. Like You're right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, those cars probably. I would bet you by. I would bet you by some of the agreements they entered into with the with, with financial firms. I bet you those things can't run for a little while. Um, speaking of running cars from odd locations, uh, so one of the ideas that <laughs> was being toyed around with. So we're gonna have a weird season regardless, and there were some folks. Uh, Ross Braun among them who thought if this is going to be a weird season why not use this also as a test bed for some other radical ideas for uh, changing up what F1 looks like and improving the show a little bit and one of the things that came up was reverse grid races Um, the idea here being that Literally, you have back-to-back racing weekends at the same track. It will be like a repeat of what already just happened. Uh, that could be a little monotonous. And so if to avoid sort of that re- repetitive feeling, one of the things you could do is just reverse the grids uh, for the second race. And Is that what they were talking about, or were they talking about having a reverse grid qualifying race? Uh, I, think it was, I think it was qualifying. Yeah, so my understanding is that you have um, your first race, and then instead of having a regular qualifying session for that second race, you reverse the grid and have a short sprint race instead of qualifying. And so at the end of that race, that's how you start oh, so the big sprint race. race. Okay, that yeah. sounds good. Yeah. That sounds good. That's actually sounds hilarious. Because can you imagine somebody like tanking themselves on the first race so they get pole in the total wolf could. (laughs) Uh, That is one of the reasons that uh, he and a number of other team principals like basically blocked the idea. Uh, And Wolf's position was that uh, some great quotes here uh, from remarks he gave uh, over at Autosport. First, I believe that F one is a meritocracy. Best man and best machine wins. We don't need a gimmick to turn the field around to create more exciting racing. Mind you, like 
six championships in a row. That is meritocracy in action, baby. Uh, <laughs> number two, I know from touring car racing, that strategies become a very useful tool when one race result is basically making the grid for the next one. Just imagine one mm. of the drivers not running well on the Sunday race of the first Spielberg weekend, and you decide to DNF the car. That will be the car that starts from the pole for the quality race. And if that car starting on pole on the quality race is within midfielders, he will certainly be on pole for Sunday and win the race. There'll be cars in the middle that will defend and block as much as they can. Therefore, for the quick cars coming from behind, it will mean more risk for a DNF, and that could influence the championship. Yeah, and that sounds fucking great, Toto. Yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. That awesome. Like, You're I'm not sorry, wrong. Do you mean that whips? <laughs> uh, I am sorry. I think this. I think this racing would just be too kick ass, and I cannot handle it. Uh, so now here's the funny thing though. You know who was behind the idea? Ferrari. Oh. Yeah. Uh Mattia Bonato uh said, We believe that 2020 will be a difficult season anyhow. It's a season that should have started in Australia, didn't start in Australia. We start only in July. There are less races, some races on the same circuit, Austria, Austria, UK, UK. I think that we still we need still to try to attract our fans. We need still to make sure that for the future of F1, we are creating the best show. And I think that having the sprint race only on the second race weekend on the same circuit would have been the solution. We can even consider that 2020 would have been the right test platform eventually for an alternative solution for the future. Actually, this is 100% correct. Uh, mm. It's actually... So, he said he was also really not popular with drivers. Uh, Danny Ricardo uh, said he thought it sounded bad. Uh, said that it's a it's a position you'd probably only hold hold if you watched uh, like on TV. But like if you're a driver, it's just kind of anathema. Uh, Hamilton, I think, basically had the same position. Uh, and I understand all that, but also I am sitting here with like twenty years of different overtaking committees. Uh, having like yeah. taken a crack at making F1 a more dynamic and interesting sport. Like I would love a version of F1 where I don't need to, like where a preseason primer, uh, doesn't need to do quite so much lifting in terms of, Hey, now here's stuff you can watch for that isn't on track action and why F1 mm. becomes so interesting. I would like it if the, if the racing sold itself a little bit more. Uh, and I think my skepticism about reverse grid stuff basically, melted when i saw uh w series run that race uh exhibition race last year where they reversed the grid that race ruled uh yeah. because you do have drivers who are just faster and seeing them apply their racecraft to carve the way through the field is really good how much every time an f1 driver usually because penalties we already mess with uh f1 already messes with starting order all the time to enforce different ideas of like fairness um every time you know max or lewis or anybody starts you know p19 p20 because of penalties and then they drive their way to the podium everyone's like what an awesome race that rocked mm. um why would you like everyone loves that so just institutionalize it or at least use the season to see how it would be uh, it's really frustrating that there was kind of this knee-jerk response that, no, we can't, we couldn't possibly consider that. Yeah. Yeah, but not surprising. I mean, no. if Toto's going to, if Toto can 
he's going to make it the same that it has been because that's how they won. Oh, it's um, a meritocracy, Drew, you know. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, speaking oh, of man. tipping things in the favor of uh, other teams, um, Williams is up for sale. Um all right. How many patrons be... we got? 875. Okay. So when Another... we hit 1,000, we buy Williams Formula One. Okay, great. <laughs> um, they also have split from um, Rocket, Rocket, their yeah. title sponsor. Um, and apparently one of their other sponsors, Rocket Drink. Rock, Rock Drink? I don't know if they're affiliated, but they both start with a capital R-O-K. So, um, be a real shame if they weren't. Yeah. Uh, Rock drink is, they, is maybe the worst product title I've ever heard in my life. Just, you know, as an aside. Why is there so much drinks sponsorship? Sorry, Drew, go ahead. It's cool. Uh, I don't really have a lot uh, to go on here, except that, you know, uh, Williams is, it's kind of like, this is kind of the, the, the passing of that $145 million budget cap is uh, potentially the thing that, that could save Williams because mm. um, they're, they're really up against it here. They do have, they've taken some loans, $28 million. Um, and according to Ross Braun, uh, he says that Williams has quote, fairly serious people considering an investment this is from autosport.com. Um, but that nope, they, nobody serious invests in form of the one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, Claire Williams has said that, um, they do have the funds with which to contest the 2020 season. Um, so hopefully, you know, the loans and a potential buyer will uh, mm. secure them going forward. Eddie here. Irvine, get back in here. Sorry, Eddie Jordan, not Eddie Irvine. Although actually, no, if Eddie Irvine has the money, he should do it. I prefer that. Doesn't he have a lot of money? Right. I'm sure he does. He raced for Ferrari. Builder, for, right? Who, Eddie Irvine? Yeah. Did he? I don't know. He drove I, a Ferrari for a number of years. Yeah, I feel like he I'm might be a real estate mogul, actually. Uh, in the north of Ireland, probably. Uh, uh, but speaking of weird... No, Sorry. I was just, just going to say to the point about uh, Williams up for sale. So this is just kind of a... It's a, it's a weird thing because uh, Keith Collantine's gloss on this over at racefans.net was that mm. this is maybe being over-dramatized in the way it's being covered. Um, what what uh, the Williams operation appears to be looking for, uh, and from what Claire Williams has said publicly, what they're really after is investment, right? What they really want above all is an injection of capital into the yeah. team. And that will give them uh, basically seed money to revamp the operation. Uh, because they've had bad results for years. Uh, so they, they do need to invest in the company, but they do just need to bridge into this world of uh, the budget caps and then some of the performance handicaps. Sorry, uh, aerodynamic uh, handicaps or whatever they're calling right. it uh, for, you know, to balance, to level the playing field a little bit. Uh, so I, I'm curious... To me, I think the, the 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 big question is: Does the Williams family want to stay in this? Um, I think they do, and I think that's why they want investment. Right? She's always said that they want it to be the family business. But like, how many? Who is investing in Williams now? After like, there clearly there is like their problem isn't just the money. Like the problem is 
there's something about Williams and the way they operate and the way they're structured or something that just isn't working. It's getting less than what you're putting in. So like in what world does somebody invest in that and leave all of those people in their positions? Yeah, exactly. Like I think anybody who comes in who is a serious investor, even by the standards of people who are serious because like nobody's serious decides I need an F1 team. That sounds (laughs) awesome. Uh, Immediately you are, you are into the realm of either it's a pure marketing play uh, or you're just in a, I'm I'm rich and I've got silly money. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, So anybody who is in there to make a profitable and reasonable, successful, reasonably successful racing team, it is hard to imagine them going all in with investment and then signing all that, all those resources over to the Williams family at this stage, Mm. or at least given how the Williams family has run it of, you know, of late. Uh, To answer your question, Danny, um, the Williams family holds 52% of Mm. the company, American healthcare mogul, Brad Hollinger and former Williams technical director, Patrick head, uh, hold around 14% and 9% respectively. This from, uh, uh, that, uh, race fans article that Rob found. Um, and 22% is on free float in Frankfurt, which I believe means that, uh, that's on the, that's listed on the Frankfurt stock exchange. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and I believe Brad Hollinger, the American <laughs> healthcare guy bought Toto Wolf's share. Oh, okay. So I don't think Toto is in it anymore. Hmm. Um, He's got his fingers in enough pies at the moment. Um, things are going way better over at uh, McLaren, though. They're, are they? they? They know how to make money. They know how to. They know how to satisfy their weird sponsors. Um, uh, this came from a, a, a post on the official Formula One Reddit. Is any Reddit subreddit official? <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't know. Um, I don't know. People also linked this. I think in uh, in the Shift F One um, Patreon Discord oh, as well. Beautiful, beautiful people. I love it. Um, yeah. So uh, uh, Velo, who are a, a a tobacco product company, I'll say no more, um, is a sponsor uh, of McLaren's, and they were putting on a Velo X McLaren Racing Virtual Fan Race. That's the official name. Um, and one of the requirements of this race is perhaps the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in my life, which considering the past couple of months is really saying something. Uh, the details here from the post, the race will be streamed on McLaren's YouTube channel on the 12th of June, 7 till 9 British Standard Time, British Summertime, sorry. So get practicing on the F1 2019 game. Uh, just a little bit of a little bit of a dotted, you know, fine print here before you sign up. Uh-huh. Entrance uh, must be 25 plus and nicotine consumers. <laughs> In, in line with BAT's commitment to market its product responsibility and appeal only to its target consumer audience with its range of new category products. So smoke them if you got them. And if you don't, then I guess you're not allowed in. Um, uh, I, I have some <laughs> clarification here. That's um, the British American Tobacco as BAT, I think. yes, yeah, okay. and Velo, um, uh, <laughs> which uh, I was uh, pointed out a, by Johnny a Bike Company, <laughs> yeah, Johnny Staccato on the uh, Shift F One Patreon Discord. Um, Velo is sold under the brand name Lyft L Y F T, which what? you may have seen on McLaren's car. 
I always thought that was the rideshare company. Me too. It's not. They sell nicotine pouches. Wait, what? but so that's a, that's another mission winnow we've yeah we've, we've uncovered. Well, that's so weird. So I can I can put patches on. I'm I'm allowed to slap a couple uh, of patches it's a on. T- it's a tobacco free alternative, Danny. Oh, okay, but it's, it's not, not a tobacco nicotine. company. So I'm just I'm just injecting myself with nicotine because I just want I want the 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 rush of addiction without the enjoyment of smoke in my in my lungs sorry i say this as somebody who did smoke for quite a while um yeah okay i so is is the thing here that they're not allowed market to people who don't already consume nicotine is that what it is yeah like i think the i think the thing they're they're always dancing around is like we're not trying to recruit people to our lifestyle right we're not trying to bring people in and like push nicotine on anybody that oof, that's not the business we're in but, but if you're if down you to climb already, yeah yeah uh so it seems pretty i don't know the, the like so much depends on tobacco money in some form staying in the sport and it's all through these completely like rube goldbergian evasions <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's amazing well, there you go. Uh, the race has already happened. No, 12th of June. What is it now? Today is the 9th. Okay, so. So you got time to become got a smoker yep. into that race. It's coming up. Great. Blaze up and race up. Or I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, so. On to, on to more serious things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, obviously, uh, we are recording this at a strange and fraught time uh, in the world as demonstrations uh, demanding justice for uh, George Floyd, Ahmed Arbery, and Breonna Taylor are happening internationally at this mm. point. Uh, and they're also very much uh, demonstrations against police violence. And normally, uh, this is not necessarily something that would tie into an F1 podcast, uh, because F1 tends to be very, a, a space that is very... Uh, Willfully white. blind to politics, uh, right. I would say, and yes, also uh, very white and very very privileged in some ways. Uh, we can, we, I think, we all remember what happened when there were protests in, uh, I believe, uh, Abu Dhabi. And, oh yeah, it was, uh, or, Bahrain. Bahrain. It was, uh, I, yeah, yeah. And by and large, Formula One kind of turned a blind eye to the entire uh, situation and didn't engage with it. Uh, that is not happening this time. Uh, Lewis Hamilton on May 31st, so really near the start of the demonstrations and around the time the reaction to the truly horrific video of Minneapolis police uh, murdering George Floyd uh, began to circulate, Lewis Hamilton uh, posted on social media, I see those of you who are staying silent, some of you the biggest of stars, yet you stay silent in the midst of injustice. Not a sign from anybody in my industry, which, of course, is a white-dominated sport. I'm one of the only people of color here, there yet, only people of color there, yet I stand alone. I would have thought by now you would see why this happens and say something about it, but you can't sta- stand alongside us. Just know I know who you are, and I see you. Um, which is... Probably the most pointed and confrontational uh, statement Hamilton has made. And he's 
become more of an activist uh, in recent mm-hmm. years, particularly on matters mm-hmm. of environmental justice. But this is one of the first times uh, that he spoke out so forcefully about these issues and also criticized his sport and his peers. Uh, and that does appear to have driven some change in the discourse within F1. Uh, a lot of the younger drivers uh, were notable for how they did sort of join uh, Hamilton's call for justice. But one of the other things that they generally cited, uh, and I, this was uh, Albon, Leclerc, um, a few other drivers, generally they all acknowledged that F1 drivers speak from a position of great privilege and mm-hmm. it can be hard also to know when are their voices the correct ones uh, to belong in the conversation. But they, they did concede that this was a place where they didn't, did need to make their voices heard, uh, where they did need to take a position in support of people demonstrating uh, for their, for the human rights and dignity. Uh, and that prompted a lot of other people in Formula One to also issue statements of support. Uh, Toto, uh, you know, issued a statement of support for uh, what Hamilton had said. So it it really has been striking the degree to which this this issue and these these demonstrations have really breached the boundaries that a lot of uh, companies have generally placed around uh, matters mm. of race and social justice and police violence. Uh, I think while this is an F1 podcast, we all come from the games industry. Uh, yeah. And I think we all mm-hmm. vividly remember in 2014, uh, two things happened in 2014 uh, that basically overlapped. One very, very particular to the games industry was uh, Gamergate. But the other thing that was happening at the same time what was the Ferguson protests. And back in 2014, it was striking how much the Ferguson demonstrations were treated as a political controversy and avoided uh, by just about everyone, corporate America, uh, by a lot of people who had platforms but weren't necessarily sure that they should use them to say anything about these issues. Uh, There was a lot of hesitation about taking a position because it would be somehow seen as wading into a controversy. Uh, It's not 2014. And when you have now Lewis Hamilton and what appears to be a consensus with an F1, that this is an issue where not only is it worth taking a stand and uh, striking a position, but it's also effectively mandatory uh, that morally it can't be ducked as these things have traditionally been. Uh, That does seem to mark uh, a sea change. Yeah, big time. It felt like when, especially back in those days in, in, in gaming that like that that whole idea of people injecting their politics into yes. the into stuff was was very much uh, on the tip of a lot of people's tongues who were kind of upset by it and even now I, f- I just feel like that isn't the case anymore it's not it's not so you know the the virtue signaling sort of criticism that so often came up is is now more you know of a sort of a, a weirdly right wing call that is made and not something that 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 uh that most people kind of think so um 
Yeah, it's it is dark. I remember the Bahrain stuff vividly. Um, just post sort of January twenty fifth in Tahrir Square, that you know everything that was going on in the Middle East, and there were some drivers. I'm trying to remember. Was it? Was it? I feel like like Ricardo was his first season. Maybe there was some one or two of them who said something about it, but it wasn't until the I think the Saudi tanks crossed the bridge and it became like dangerous that they pulled that event that year. And it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't cancelled out of sort of a, a protest or anything like that. Um, I almost don't want to bring it up, but it was the biggest story at the start of this. Did you see the Will Buxton stuff that happened? Yeah. No. At the top of this? So I'll, I'll just talk about it briefly because I, I feel like it's kind of past at this stage, but it's, it's worth, I guess, including a little bit. So Buxton had put out a statement, I think, just prior to Hamilton's one, and then he got really irked by... Um, Lewis saying, I see those of you who are staying silent, some of you are the biggest stars uh, yet. Uh, he's Buxton basically like kind of quote tweeted or quote Instagram, I'm not sure what the text is, Hamilton's thing and criticized Hamilton for ignoring what Will had said. Whoa. Which, yeah, which isn't exactly, you know. I have the text re- here. Read the room. Oh, oh you do? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Hamilton's message saying, I see some of you who are staying silent. And to this, Will Buxton says, no sign of anyone in your industry. Look again. Known you for a decade and a half. Open your eyes. We see. We feel. Don't cast us out. Yeah, so not exactly. What about uh, Will Buxton? Uh, so he ended up getting like pretty uh, lambasted by people on Twitter and Instagram over it. And he kind of, he got like too defensive over the whole thing and ended up just kind of like retreating oh, off of it? social media. Yeah, okay. he did a little bit. So it was it yeah. was like a it was kind of like a like a bad look day for Will Buxton. Hopefully he'll take it as a as a learning experience. Um but uh yeah, that was that was kind of the first I, I had seen of some of this. But it was cool seeing some of the other drivers. Um I saw Charles Leclerc put out a statement that that felt really um uh, appropriate. Um Yeah, so it's it's a it's a whole whole different world. It's it's strange seeing this new generation of, of, you know, in the protesters, you see this new generation who are really, you know, pushing. It feels like the Overton window has moved a couple of years ahead in the past few weeks. But even looking at uh, F1 drivers, that new generation of F1 drivers who we've been celebrating as being, you know, fun and, you know, kind of like chatty and fun with each other and lighthearted. And, and out and, there. Like this totally did not available. used to happen. Yeah. yeah. It's totally new. And it's cool to see that they're also sort of, you know, hopefully going to lead the charge on on opening their mouths and where where others have stayed silent i think yeah i wonder if there's also a dynamic of there you know ferguson 2014 like one of the weird things is if you've grown up on social media you've had probably some of the formative years of your life watching just shocking videos of misconduct right and abuse of demonstrators abuse of ordinary people who get in the path of the uh, the wrong police in the wrong place at the wrong time. And uh, I think one of the really striking things about what's happened over this last week is, in general, I think everybody used to hedge and take the attitude that, well, we don't have the whole story. We don't know. Like what, you know, it's tough to, uh, we, we just don't want to be a reactionary. Yeah. The police, the yeah. police have their story too. Like from their perspective, it, it probably like looks like this after the sort of shock of the, uh, George Floyd, 
uh, video, but then also the, the the dismal spectacle of a week of police facing demonstrators demanding that police yeah. <laughs> uh, clean up their act and responding to those demonstrators with just um, indiscriminate use of uh, force and violence. Um, that, I think, does change the nature of how the issue is discussed and treated, right? It's no longer a question mm-hmm. of, oh, there's, you know, there's two valid positions here. Yeah, uh, this is it, no longer a partisan issue, or it shouldn't yeah. be. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, you can already, the benefit of the doubt only stretches so far. And yeah, I th- it's, it's been shocking to see um, just how, I, I was taken aback by how, how blatant the use of power that the police were using in protesters given the optics of all this i was just thinking like if that's what you're willing to do when when yes. that's the one thing people yes. are expecting you not to do then wow yeah. and all these it, camera phones are pointed at you it's so wild it's yeah, the, so wild the sense of impunity yeah that's it uh, exactly and yeah. eagerness it's, to recourse to violence um like there's no way to look at this and not think a p- police forces that do this and this happened nationally. So it's not just a Minneapolis police issue. This happened basically everywhere police uh, confronted demonstrators. Uh, it is hard to see all of this. It is impossible to see all of this uh, and think that how the United States treats policing right now is healthy or correct for a society. Um, mm. Like it is possible that like a society needs some form of policing. It does not need these police. Yeah, and I think uh, Lewis was uh, smart to point out that, like, you know, America's not the only place that has racism. Um, and no. I I think that, you know, sports, um, by virtue, especially of the fact that Formula One is such an international sport, it has a real opportunity to, to you know, uh, at least the people, the drivers, have a real opportunity to sort of um, really force people to look at this. Uh, you know, I think there's a, a very... Um, common reaction is to sort of have this knee-jerk defensive, you know, uh, response to, mm. you know, like, like Buxton just did, you know, like, well, it's not, it's not me, uh, you know. Um, and I, I think, uh, yeah, c- you know, uh, kudos to all um, those guys for, for saying something and, and again, sort of forcing people to, uh, uh, to really confront this. Uh, and mm. I think, um, you know, uh, there are way more important things than Formula One happening in the world today, but like, uh, I think that formula one is a part of the world. Right. Um, so I, uh, it's an oddly like unifying sport. Like it's, it's, it's a strange, yeah. it's kind of reminds me a bit like soccer where it's, it's, it's international. It's kind of cross like, like class, I guess. Like, uh, you know, it, it, to me, it feels like, like a fairly, uh, you know, working class sport in England as much as it is also a lad. In terms of spectators? In terms of spectators, for sure. It was yeah. broadcast on the BBC. Like, like it was broadcast on one of like five channels my family had. Like it, it, it is a bizarrely, you have a bizarrely, um, vibrant cross section of people, um, considering how <laughs> niche this sport is um so totally like it's 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 but it i but i also think that f1 is more exposed than many sports in relation to its ideology given where its money is coming from given where a lot of its races go on um uh especially in the expansion era um that eccleston kind of had and get 
putting his tracks in places that no one had them before. Um, so yeah, I think it's uh, it's interesting. We'll have to see you know how F one evolves even further it's it's crazy we were looking forward to the 2020 regs and the new cars and it looks like everyone's actually having to adapt in lots of other ways because of what's been going on this year yeah i um i hope that uh that f1 actually i I saw ross braun saying something like you know we have um uh you know initiatives to in in grassroots racing to try to expand the diversity of uh, you know um, not just drivers, but, you know, engineering and, uh, and, and everything. Um, so I, I hope that, you know, I hope that, that F1 really means it. Um, you know, like a lot of these things, uh, can just kind of come and go. Uh, and I think if, if maybe you are someone who, um, you know, is just kind of seeing this from afar, uh, you know, I think I think we all need to to take a look and and see what we can do about this because again, it's this is a worldwide uh, thing that is about not it's about more than politics. It's about you know mm-hmm. humanity. So, um, but I think being a part of uh, being effective in that fight is to take care of ourselves too. And with that in mind, um, we're going to keep doing this silly race car sports podcast. So absolutely inject some love into I the do. world too. Yeah. Just why, how else would I talk to you two? This is the only way we get to hang out. <laughs> uh, should we take it to some emails? Sure. Shift F1 podcast at gmail.com or F1.cool slash emails if you're one of the cool kids. Uh, this first email comes in from Dean who says, Hey guys, thank you for answering my first email in your last podcast. Dean's on a roll here. I have even more for you. So recently, Toto was very open about questions we all have had during the silly season. Uh, Toto confirmed that there uh, he has no interest in moving to Aston Martin, which automatically means that he's staying at Mercedes, according to Dean. Uh, and wait, Mercedes won't quit that easy either, mean, meaning that Lewis is going to snatch one or two or more uh, World Championship uh, uh, WDCs and retire. Um, secondly, Toto openly said that Mercedes is uh, closely monitoring Sebastian's movement. So what do you think? Will Seb really retire and clearly... Uh, uh, with little options on the table, uh, would Mercedes risk Hamilton's streak um, taking Vettel on board? Thanks for everything you're doing and keep up the work. Well, this is all in relation to an F1.com uh, article, uh, which was all about the Mercedes um, uh, with uh, an article with, with, with Toto. Um, when you guys read this one, do you, do you want me to take it? Keep going. Uh, go yeah. Take sure, it I wasn't sure because we had it in news before. Um, yeah. So this is all from this uh, this one article, which was basically Total Wolf on the future of uh, Mercedes. Um, we don't know. It, uh, Rob reckons this is him basically just sort of playing nice, like everyone's like, "Hey, yeah, like we're all keep we're looking at Sebastian." But um, it's been a couple of weeks now since we <laughs> since the big news, and there's not really been that much movement. And also, you know, we're we're getting close to the, the teams kind of getting locked in for um, the, the 2020 season. So they're probably not going to be thinking about next season um, too much more. So, uh, gentlemen, what do you think of what's going to happen in relation to Vettel? Because Renault are in a strange spot. There is a, an Autosport article here that basically said they won't choose a new driver until the season begins, which you have to imagine for any organization of course you're going to do that. Everything is so up in the air at the moment. Um, uh, and also race fans saying that Alonso is still an option for them as well. Um, and then we have Aston Martin has no plans, uh, no plans to change your drivers according to Autosport. Uh, so where is he going? 
I think this kind of comes down to whether Botas is still at Mercedes in 2021. All right. Um, As in, does he get pushed or does he leave? Why would you have... Yeah, but we talked about this before, right? Vettel, Vettel and Sebastian, or Vettel and, and Hamilton just... I mean, Hamilton wouldn't want that, but like, you got to believe that Mercedes would, Mercedes? would be like, sure. Why? But the, how about Botas, with the, if the car is good enough, Botas the perfect it. second driver. Like, yeah. Like, like, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, souring the relationship that Lewis has uh, with his second driver. Like, we, that didn't really go well with Nico Rosberg. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it is... I just don't know where this guy goes. Uh, because, he, like, Renault, sure, is an option. I think... Well, actually, Renault does have a bit of an issue, uh, which is that... I think... Ocon is like there's a chance he is a driver of the future, right? There's a chance that like yeah. he will distinguish himself and uh become a rising star. Like I I I think I always had the feeling that if he hadn't had such a combative time at Force India, uh there was a chance that he would have really like jumped out and uh like distinguished himself. Um I don't I, I like I think the problem with that though is right now renault is kind of a team without a marquee driver right like it just doesn't yeah. have um like it, and if you don't have a marquee driver of some sort you don't really have like a team character and and or sponsor draw like, yeah they need one they need one because like first of all you got cyril um who is i think kind of a grave um sort of shy character in some ways. Uh, so I don't think he's going to be the, I don't think he gives you the ability to have him be the face of the team the way like a Christian Horner can be. Uh, so yeah, like I can see them looking for a big name to sort of lead the team and, and headline it. Uh, I don't know if Vettel, Vettel gets you there though, because Vettel is also, <sighs> Does he have a big personality? Does he just have a really evident one? <laughs> right? Like, like, uh, big in, in the wrong way, maybe. Yeah. Just like, you know, his various, uh, you know, contretom with, uh, you know, Lewis, you know, over the, over the years, really, uh, his quick recourse to complaining audibly over the radio. I'm not sure. I'm not sure bringing Vettel in will be cool. Right. This is almost the exact same problem Alonzo had. Yeah. You've got a fantastic driver who's won world championships and just nobody wants to go near him. Uh, and the only teams that want to go near him are ones that he probably doesn't want to drive for. Yeah. Like he's he's kind of like put himself in a in a disadvantageous position, you know. Yeah, which is I it makes sense that Renault is waiting on this one. Yeah. Well, well, waiting to see uh, if that'll's good. Maybe like, <laughs> let's just see. Waiting to see if they're still around. Yeah, let's just you know, let's just look at his teeth a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess uh, by virtue of the fact that they're they're not pulling the trigger immediately, that they think Alonso would be a better option. I think I think Alonso has the star power, uh, and there's the yeah, whole. I think like, he'll be hungrier as well. And bring the bring the the favorite son back home finally. Uh, yeah. Will it work? Probably not, but. It'll be it'll be oh, him riveting. and Ocon. Oh, the sparks! I know, beautiful. The the one yeah, that's the one thing that would scare me is like uh, if you're trying to develop Ocon, I don't know that 
uh, Alonzo's who I want there, but yeah, um, I don't know. Like the future of your team in the sport seems dodgy to begin with, uh, given the scale of the job cuts Renault just had. Uh, I know they've committed to staying, but you know, there's commitments and there's commitments. Uh, so I, I do feel like they got to do something. Uh, I think sort of related to this is an email from uh, Rob. The last time we really saw an era where one driver or team didn't dominate the F1 grid for an extended period of time was the 90s, post-Senna, pre-Schumacher. Do you think with the new regulations and the eventual retirement of Hamilton will lead to a shakeup, or do you think drivers like Verstappen and Leclerc dominate? Thanks for all your hard work and keep it up. Uh, I think the problem... So, I, you know... We may have talked about this a bit with Chain Bear, or I'm just remembering Chain Bear's video a little, mm. little clearly. <laughs> but like, I think one of the issues with uh, Formula One is that the ability of success to breed success and perpetuate over an era of technical regulations is just too strong. Like, and I think Lewis Hamilton is a brilliant driver. I think we have. Tons of evidence for that across, you know, we've seen him drive other cars. We've seen what he can do in bad cars. He is a guy who punches above his weight. He gets more out of cars than other drivers. This is demonstrable. Nevertheless, I do think there is a tendency in sports to maybe over-narrativize and focus on, like, heroic figures, right? So you have Schumacher, uh, (laughs) you know, who is, uh, you know, the... the, uh, you know, Michael Jordan of Ferrari in some ways. And then the, the torch has passed. Uh, Alonzo looked like he was going to be that guy, but no, it's, it's Vettel and Vettel is the heir to Schumacher even has some similar, you know, he's, he's German has a similar, you know, sort of dominant, dominant approach. And then it's Hamilton, just, you know, these uh, generation defining uh, F1 Titans. But really what you're talking about is a series, a series of really successful car programs in some ways. And I think the hope is that with the new regulations, more important, even the budget cap, I think it's going to be things like, uh, distributing pay a little more, distributing monies a little more equitably up and down the grid. And also, uh, providing some catch up ability for the yeah. uh, losing teams, like technical programs, I think that stuff is going to be the key because one of the things that, um, oh gosh, um, who is, sorry, the uh, Racing Points drivers this year? Uh, Perez and Yeah, Perez. Yeah, Perez. Uh, one of the things he said, I think last year was, and I thought it was self serving at the time, but he said, the margins between us in terms of a driver skill are actually really thin. Uh, right. But I've heard that echoed in some other places. And so I do think there's a chance that without necessarily needing to be as drastic as institutionalizing ballast or reverse grids, maybe just a little bit of help uh, for teams that are trying to catch up will be enough to allow those drivers uh, to sort of bridge those, bridge those gaps. Mm. Um, that's, that's the hope. Uh, but the fact that the incumbent programs have so much sway in the sport, uh, it seems tough. 
Uh, Drew, do you want to take this one from Eric? Sure. Yeah, I have. I have nothing to add, Rob. I think that's totally, totally right on. Reverse the grids. That's all I have to say. <laughs> this is from Eric. Uh, hey guys, love the show. Has been a great source of entertainment and knowledge as a relatively new fan of F1. Awesome. Um, with the rules change taking place in the coming seasons, with the progressive testing based on performance, do you see a potential issue arising where a team, for example, Haas last year, who can beat Williams and a few others on a good weekend, could potentially start to purposely hinder their performance to have more time for car development between seasons the same way you see NFL teams sometimes start to tank their seasons in an effort to seal a better draft pick for long-term gains? Uh, I think that's a great question. Um, My personal feeling is that while I guess that would be possible, uh, I feel like if you're trading the cash you would get for a higher season finish result for testing time, that would enable you to do better the following season and finish higher and get more cash. So it's like either cash now or cash later yeah um it doesn't it i'm not a business strategist but it doesn't seem like a a slam dunk like that to me yeah feeding off what rob was saying the last time around as well with the whole like positive and negative feedback loops like i don't i don't think nfl has like they've done a pretty good job at least for me as a european who watches soccer they've done a pretty good job of at least trying to make it so that lower level teams can bounce back using the drafts like they can trampoline their 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 negative loop into a positive one but I don't think F1 is there, and I think the damage of having that type of season, you can't just all or nothing it on the next one. So much of it is incremental, um, and there's so much work to be done on the car. It's not, it's, I think it just doesn't work that way so much. And also, I feel like there's way more of a gulf. Like, you know, I feel like on any given day, the Patriots could lose to, you know, the worst NFL team. Whereas uh, in no day do I ever see Williams beating Mercedes on a track. <laughs> yeah. It's, and, it, it's not the same, you know? And those sorts of, like, it feels like the gains would be incremental versus, like, the gain that a star player could get you on a football team, mm, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, they're, we, they're also not proven out yet. Like, we don't really True. know what the aerodynamic stuff is going to do. Um you know, at this stage, when will we know? <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, have to see. Uh, I'll take the last one here from Randolph because it's messaged directly to me. Um, Dear Danny, given how pronunciation of various names is a frequent motif if the show, is it really? Is it really? Who, who knew? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> please consider the unambiguous correct pronunciation of these two geographical locations, Barcelona and azerbaijan what do i say what did i what do i usually say do i say barcelona is that what he doesn't like i say it like a Spaniard. maybe like i said like a circuit de catalonia barcelona and azerbaijan he says azerbaijan with a z or z uh, is in azer azer like laser okay so this would be azer azer but azer is it azerbaijan are we sure I, this isn't someone taking the piss I don't know. I don't think so. I think he. I think his point is that I say it like a j, like I say Azerbaijan and not Azerbaijan, which is fair because it is in fact a z or a z. Azerbaijan. How do you? How do you guys say it? I kind of want to. I want to. I want to sort out for twenty twenty the rest of the season how I say these two places, even though we won't race in I. Well, we'll race in one of them. Um, how How do you guys say Barcelona? I say Barcelona. Yeah, Barcelona. Same. Barcelona. Okay. Uh, Barcelona. Yeah. I I know that. Uh, in Spain, 
in Spanish, it's pronounced Barcelona. Depends right. what part of Spain you're from. Is Good it point. really? Okay. Catalonian. Yeah, the, the, uh, yeah, the uh, TH sound, uh, Barcelona. Uh, I think that is like uh, Castilian Spanish a little bit more. Okay. Because um, one of my Spanish teachers was actually Catalonian. Um, right. And I don't think uh, did that. Uh, so I, yeah, it, it's, I do not think that like even there, that is a universal thing. Yeah. And, uh, for, for, um, I guess context growing up in California and in, in America learning Spanish in school, we learn Latin American Spanish, which does not do the TH thing. Right. right. Yeah. Huh. And then, yeah, I guess I always say like, I wouldn't, I'd say Paris, not Paris, unless I was, you know. Right, I think, French. I, I think one of the other awkward things is, again, <laughs> like sometimes in this, as an English speaker, uh, you sound a bit like, I don't know. Uh, say it. Say it, Rob. I, I don't know. You, you sound a bit. <laughs> say it uh, to my face. Like a bit of a douchebag. Uh, if you are like, like you sound like that kid who comes back from the UK and is like, oh, I have to check my schedule. Uh, oh, sorry. I meant, yeah. I meant an aluminum can. Uh, can you pass me that aluminum can? I just got used to oh, saying aluminum. Where's my mobile? Uh, yeah, mobile. exactly. I had, a, I, had a, I had a boss, I won't say where, uh, who said, who tried to um, uh, get sort of like uh, appeal to my European sensibilities in some way by only ever pronouncing uh, France, the country of France, as France mm. because he thought that's, that's how... Europeans pronounced, which literally I fucking I've learned French for years and and speak a bit of French and I've been to France a bunch of times. I've never heard anyone say France in my life. Um, uh, so yeah, I know I'll say I'll say Catalonia, I'll say Barcelona on a podcast with my friends. But if I was speaking to a Spanish person, I wouldn't say that. So maybe I'll stop saying it on the podcast. And then as, say Azerbaijan, you guys say that Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan. Say it again. Wait, wait, maybe not the same time. <laughs> I'll go first. Ready? Yeah. Azerbaijan. Okay. Azerbaijan. Yeah, okay. I've been saying like Aj, Aj. I've been Aj in that one. So there you go. Uh, Randolph does have a good pointer for Barcelona is to use the Freddie Mercury uh, refrain from his song, of course, for the famous 1992 Olympics, was it? Was it, was it Olympics? Actually, I'm not even sure if it was an Olympic song. Um, uh, entitled Barcelona. Um, uh, apparently, he can't pronounce the name without striking the, the, the double fist pose that Freddie Mercury does in the <laughs> video. So, uh, so we've all got our crosses to bury, Randolph. Um, respectfully, uh, he emails. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of our emailers. If you would like to send your emails, shift one podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. That is it for emails. Uh, Danny, I wouldn't take it too hard. I uh, When I went to Sao Paulo for Cloth Map, um, no one, even when, when Brazilians were speaking to me in English, they would not say Sao Paulo. Of course they would say it was, and I'm going to butcher it here again, but it's more like Sao, pa- Sao Paulo or like Sao- it almost sounded like oh. San, San Paulo. Like right. it's really it's close to that. And so as, and this is like, uh, I think something that probably a lot of Americans or maybe English speakers in general run into is like, well, I want to be respectful. What do I do? Do I ignore the fact that I know how to pronounce this and just say it the way my American accent wants me to say it? Or do I try to like, again, be, is it, is it respectful to try to pronounce <laughs> right. it the right way that the, the people living there would say it? Or yeah. is that disrespectful? And so I never really landed on something 
And if you go oh, back different. and look at the like, cloth map stuff, I think I say Sao Paulo differently every single yeah. time I mention it. And it's so di- it's it's different based on the the situation, based on who you're talking to. Like culturally, is there is there some meat here that you need to process between the two people as well? Yeah, and um, if I'm talking with someone in the in like uh, uh, Dresden is another one. I think in, in German they say Dresden. And so if right. I'm talking to someone and they're they're talking about the city of Dresden, I'm not going to say well. Uh, yeah, I've been to Dresden. Like, I'm not yeah. gonna, I'm probably gonna echo what they're saying, right? <laughs> yeah. To not sound the like I'm trying to force super it. strong. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's a, I, I think it's a respect thing, but you kind of have to, like, we did a CD project documentary, and of course, they call it CD project. It's not, they're like CD project. The fuck right. Is that? So in your VO, you say CD project, I, no, right? I, well, I say CD project in it. Yeah. I oh, think really? I, yeah, yeah. I think I actually explained <laughs> Look that at that's this guy. I know, <laughs> fucking, you're lucky tryhard over Ooh, here. Ooh, look at me. <laughs> yeah. I'm Polish. <laughs> yeah, Look Whatever. at my, yeah. I, I just... think it's, I think <laughs> I'm going to acknowledge that I, that that is the way I am saying it. Yeah. Uh, because I'm, because of, you know. I feel like it's the microcosm of just sympathetic accents where, like, my accent changed when I went to England because I wanted to be understood more, and my accent changed when I came here because I wanted to be able to be understood more, and it's just the same reflex where people, you want to be respectful of people's language and culture, but also, you know, you're sort of, be understandable in some way. Like, if you keep, if you keep saying Sao Paulo to them, after a while, is that disrespectful? Because you're basically, right. like, correct, yeah. Not learning. Yeah, you're not learning. Exactly. Yeah. Is there like a time associated with this thing? It's yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. Baku is easy to say. So I'll just say Baku. Yeah. I'll fuck that up. <laughs> Baku. Uh, all right. That's, uh, that's it for emails. You can also hit us up uh, at Shift F1 Podcast uh, on Twitter. Uh, I am Andrew Scanlon. That's at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. That's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world? It's Danny? probably time to tear us around the world. Got a little bit higher because I missed the racing year. Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, we do have some uh, racing around the world to talk about, um, starting with uh, the e racing. There is a um, uh, a race, not this weekend. Yes, this weekend. June that is this weekend. June do Saturday, I have to smoke June thirteenth. To race in it. What do I have to smoke to race in it? <laughs> <laughs> uh unless like uh, most of the motorsport uh uh community does smoke um then maybe because this is a murderer's row oh. uh of professional drivers here um doing a virtual 24 hours of le mans oh my god here's another one by the way do you say le mans, le mans or le mans or le mans or oh, lemons. I do, do it differently every time. It's a total yep. crapshoot. Uh, there, there, fifty cars will be racing um, in our factor two. Four drivers per car uh, oh. in two different classes: uh, the LMP two cars of our factor uh, and the GTE classes, which encompasses four different cars. Uh, they're they got a full day night cycle going, um, and unknown weather may crop up um damage on and custom setups so this is not uh mm. it's not your run-of-the-mill spec series um and a lot of names that formula one people will recognize people like max verstappen and lando norris on the same team wow. uh along with leclerc and antonio giovinazzi on the same team we got pierre gasly and the teammate jean-eric verne uh fernando alonso and rubens barrichello wow 
Felipe Massa and Giancarlo Fisichella. Oh, cool. Uh, other F1, XF1 names. We got Stoffel Van Dorn, Jensen Button, Brandon Hartley, Juan Pablo Montoya, Guido, Guido Vandergaard, Kamui Kabayashi, Nelson Pica Jr., Bruno Senna, Lucas Degrassi, Will Stevens, and Yan Magnuson. Wow, uh, that's awesome. A, a lot of JB. Formula E. I've yeah. not seen any Jensen Button in a sim racer. Has he been doing this? He's been doing the legacy races, like oh, the cool. old, old stuff. Yeah. All right. Some IndyCar drivers, some Formula 2 drivers, uh, an all-female team of uh, Catherine Legg, Tatiana Calderon, Sophia Flourish, and uh, Emily Jones, who is uh, a non-pro driver. Awesome. Um, and perhaps the best team, <clears throat> Robert Wickens, Jimmy Broadbent, <laughs> and Austria's Ferdinand Habsburg. Lads on tour. Love it. That's, That's right. Uh so that'll be on motorsport.tv, but probably streaming on some YouTube channel. Is it sure. 24-hour virtual.lamontesports.com? E- yes, and we will link awesome. it uh, in the show notes uh, as well. Uh, that'll be fun. Um, I should also point out that the uh, Shift F1 Patreon community is also planning their own uh 24-hour race the following weekend fantastic so i'll maybe i'll try to uh tweet about that if you want to get uh yeah get for sure. although get they involved. may have they may or may have already locked everybody i actually don't know so uh, gotta try and jump on and, and and chat to them a little bit while while they're streaming yeah that'd be fun i think yeah. a, a number of people will be streaming it we won't uh officially be streaming it but i think a number of the community uh will be doing so i'll hype it keep your eyes on our at shift f1 podcast twitter account Yes, indeed. Um, let's see. Also coming up, as mentioned, the NASCAR series oh my has God. started. Oh, He's back. Yeah. We got Wednesday, uh, the date that this podcast goes up, uh, June 10th in Martinsville, Virginia. We'll be racing the Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief <laughs> Fuck yes. 500. What's blue emo? Pain relief? I blue guess. Emu. Like blue emu. Like, okay, yeah. It contains emu oil. It is a soothing, deep penetrating formula. I think it Does is. Does it some really sort contain of, emu oil? It or says did you make that up. Contain emu oil is written on it. It's a pain relief cream which contains wow. parts of emu. Synonymous with Still pain relief. Still can't tell if you're joking. Nope. Wish I was. Hey, if you don't want that one, get Walgreens's own home brand emu muscle and joint relief. Contains what? emu oil. Yeah. Okay, hold on. People also ask, do they kill emus emus for emu oil? E- <laughs> oh no. Or do they just <laughs> emus string are out? unfortunately killed to produce the emu oil? What? However, the emu see- What is happening? What did you the see the fuck far did you cry see the- shit? <laughs> did you did you see the COVID uh the COVID like blood test thing where they use blue or crab oil crab crab blood okay. it's the weirdest thing i've Danny, ever seen peddling your snake oil it's okay, literally looks on. like something out of a sci-fi movie they have all these crabs lined up and they're draining blue or blood out of them and apparently Ugh. it's because they can put the stuff in there and it'll basically be like you know antibody free or whatever it'll be protected by the by the oil by the blood blue blood blue bloods coming to abc Whew. it's, it's a new remake of the show except tom Selleck's now a crab <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm really troubled by this. Okay, uh, you you continue advertising. Works, people. Because uh, we also works. got we got another race this oh my gosh. Sunday 
the Dixie Vodka 400 <laughs> at Homestead Miami Speedway in Florida. There you go. Uh, yeah. Uh, Rob, any more info? Yeah, what do we... On this emu situation? No. Yeah. I, okay. like, no, I, I don't understand, like, why is it important to be emu oil? Because it's got that pain relief. Emu oil. It's from the ad- adipose tissue harvested from certain subspecies of the emu. A flight yeah, like, is indigenous to Australia. Like, so, oh I, understand, oh like I understand oh how this would work if it were an oh RPG quest. Like, like the, the village like doctor needs this one. Ant. I understand that. Like, yes, ant, like RPG logic. No, we need the oil of the blue emu. Okay, fine. <laughs> Why do we need that exact oil, though? Like, you gotta put your all, the, armor with on all modern chemistry, why do we need okay, that animal? I'm going to answer this question with two data points from the Wikipedia article on emu oil. The okay. first is a research section, which basically says that, like, a lot of studies have failed to show greater efficiency uh, for emu oil over a placebo. And the other one is if you go to the see also section of emu oil, the first one is another oil. <laughs> Can you guess? <laughs> It's snake, snake oil. Ah. Uh. <laughs> so wait, well, so is, wait, so is blue oil? E- I'm sorry. This is a podcast, and it will therefore be a public statement of some of, of some sort. Of sort. Uh, but I am curious if blue emu, emu uh, pain relief is in the same like FDA category as say like Advil or Aleve medicines that are real <laughs> that many of us regard as real <laughs> how is where is blue emu oil how does, where is where does blue emu fit on that spectrum to, maybe I can answer with a statement so I don't get my own uh, self in trouble. Uh, the yeah. see also section of emu oil on Wikipedia only actually has two see also's. The first is snake oil. The second one is list of ineffective cancer treatments. So wow. I think that might answer it. But hey, if you want to grind up some flightless birds and rub them on yourselves, I know a NASCAR race where you can probably get free samples. Or don't. Or don't. Actually, no, you can't. Can you go to NASCAR races yet? You can't. So I don't know. Uh, not yet, although they will be opening them up to guests, uh, which I cool. believe will be 1,000 service members. Okay. They will be testing before they let in. Right. You say service members as in military? Uh, military, yes. Okay. And they'll all be standing. They'll have like so much leg room, it'll be ridiculous. Right. They'll have like 50 empty seats around them. <laughs> yeah, every 300 seats, there will be one fan. The popcorn yeah. guys are going to have to have amazing arms for this one. <laughs> right. Uh, okay, well, uh, I think that's a podcast, everyone. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash shift F1. Anything else, fellas? No, looking forward to chatting in a couple of weeks. Let's hope the races are still on. Let's hope everyone's safe. Uh, let's hope we haven't got that second wave coming and uh, yeah looking forward to chatting to you two again listeners I need your help getting to the bottom of this emu oil situation (laughs) Uh, I gotta know now I like this is all I'm gonna be thinking about vice is on the case folks vice is on the case no this is a private investigation (laughs) this is uh, it, I've gone rogue here. I need to. I need to get to the bottom of the blue emu oil or the blue emu uh, issue. Uh, well, uh, what what else is our our podcast good for? And, uh, <laughs> uh, exploring these 
topics. Uh, that's it for us. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow. Yeah.